let's get into the word with our children's pastor, Pastor Josh. Good times. Good times. So we are kicking off the week before or the week of Thanksgiving, my, one of my favorite weeks ever. There's only one other that's better, and that's the week before Christmas, and I love it so much. We went ahead and decorated for Christmas, which goes against everything that I believe in. I'm a staunch, like, no decorations before Thanksgiving, and that's just me, and I get overruled 90% of the time. So we've been talking about miracles the past few weeks, and it's been some fantastic. Last week was amazing. It was so good to hear the stories and the things that God has done in people's lives. And as I was sitting there and I was listening to the message, uh, because my wife and I were actually traveling home, and we listened uh, via the live stream, and I started to think back. There's a story that a lot of people don't know. It's a little over two years ago. My wife was uh, pregnant with our, our ninth child, right? It's a lot if you're keeping count. It's, uh, it's, some people are like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> And she went in uh, for a scan of the baby. And it just so happened that the ultrasound tech found something on her kidney. And it's not typical, and she's like, she just happened to scan over and said, well, that looks weird. So we went, and we went to see an oncologist, and they did tests, and they looked at it, and it says she has stage two kidney cancer. And we're like, not the news you want, not exactly what we were expecting, and I feel bad for my wife because she is extremely, like, if you know her, she, she, like, when I talk, when I say healthy, like, we used to make fun of her because she would come in to church on Sunday mornings drinking this drink that we called the sludge. It literally looked like pond water, all right? It was so disgusting. And I'm like, you're supposed to be able to drink it. Like, if you got to chew it, it's not a drink. Like, that's gross. And I could understand, like, if it was me. Because I don't exactly, you know, go by that same philosophy. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was her. And so it took us a minute to kind of wrap our heads around that. And so she went through, and they had the baby. They're like, we're going to deliver early, so it they induced at a certain amount of time, and that didn't go as planned. They had to do an emergency C-section. So from the time they called the C-section to the time the baby was out was literally like four minutes. From the room to the operating room, it was that fast. And she did all that, and they came in, and they went in, and they took all the lymph nodes around the kidneys so to make sure everything was good. And one came back that it was positive for cancer. So they're like, well, we're going to start you on treatments. 
and she's going through treatments, and, and I don't know if you know this, but when you have nine kids, um, things, you know, cost a lot of money, like food, and when they sit there, and be like, hey, your treatments are going to be $15,000 a treatment. I mean, that's, that's substantial. I don't know about you, but I don't have $15,000 every three weeks for a year. We sat there and we prayed and, we, and we, we shared the news with some people and we prayed. And the crazy thing was like we sat there and we went through all of this. Our baby is healthy. My wife has three treatments left. And outside of our $35 copay, we haven't paid a, a penny more. Hallelujah. Right? And that's a significant miracle in our life. But the part that struck me when we're coming home was, how did I forget that? It's like, I know that it happened. I remember that it happened. But how did I get to the point that my, my thankfulness and my gratefulness kind of faded of that miracle in my life. We're coming into this season of thanksgiving, right? We're coming into this season of thankfulness. Now, you got to hold on for me today because I have a lot of scripture. Like, everyone is like, oh, you got a lot of scripture. So we're going to go through the scripture quick, all right? And so watch on the screen and listen to it, and we'll get through it as fast as we can. Because I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, because thankfulness, right, is, is biblical. It's biblical to be thankful. So we're thankful for when the Lord delivers us from addiction. We're thankful for when the Lord heals the broken heart. We're thankful for when the Lord brings the prodigal son home. We're thankful for the things that the Lord does in our life, but at what point does that thankfulness start just to become every day and we lose the sight of being thankful? In Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 8, chapter 7, or chapter 8, verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will, be, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. He's talking to his people that he's brought out of Egypt, right? And they've wandered the desert for years, he said, I'm bringing you into this land that has all that you could ever want, all that you could ever need. Because we've all been through valleys, right? We've all been through tough times. We've all been through and experienced things that we're like, I don't, I don't even want to be here right now. We've seen our kids make bad mistakes, poor decisions. We've seen our spouses make poor decisions. We may have been the one that made the poor decision. We've struggled with things. 
We struggle with addictions. We struggle with drugs. We struggle with alcohol, with pornography, with food. Hey, listen, I said it. It's not popular before Thanksgiving, but I'll say it anyway. We've struggled. And we've seen the Lord bring us through those things because we've sat in his presence and we've dug into his word and we fasted and we prayed. In the middle of this valley, we talked to God and said, God, I need you right now. More than anything, I need you right now. And he brought us through. He says, if you're willing to do the work, right? Land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills, where you're willing to do the work, it's there for your taking. Where you're willing to put in the time, it's there for you. And it goes on to say, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors have never known. He performed things for you that no one has ever seen. He made the impossible possible. To humble and test yourself so that in the end it might go well with you, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. It's right there. He's saying, I brought you out. I gave you. I blessed you. You have all this offered. Look what I've given to you, but be careful. Be careful because the more you work and the more you're blessed and the more you get, you can sit there and say, well, look what I did. Look at me. I earned this. I put the work in. I made this happen. So it brought me back to the question. How did I forget? Now, I grew up in Mena, Arkansas. And being from the South, and as I grew up, and I've done the same thing with my kids, right? And if you have grown up in the South, and you know that when your kids are going out for the first time, and they're going to be with other adults, or they're going to go somewhere with a friend, right? You make sure, like, what do you tell them, right? Hey, it's please and thank you. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Mind your what? Manners. Mind your, it is, in, we ingrain it in them from the very beginning. Hey, it's please and thank you. We are really good at saying thank you. We are fantastically good at saying thank you. It's been beaten into us since birth. Let your mama find out you didn't say thank you, or yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, or yes, sir. Let them, let them find out you acted out. 
No, thank you. That's right. It's important that our thankfulness goes beyond just the words of thank you. It's not just a season of thankfulness, guys. It's a season of gratitude. So you can write this down. Gratitude is purposeful and requires action. What actions do we take that show gratitude? What actions do we take that show how thankful we are? What do we do to take it from words and put some physical action into it so that we don't forget? My question is simple. What are you grateful for? Are you grateful for Jesus? Yes. Your salvation? Yes. In Luke 7, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. From the time she was in his presence... She could not stop praising, loving, and adoring Jesus. Wetting his feet with her tears. The Lord gives his spirit to us. And everywhere we go, We can walk with him. And do we do it with the gratitude of loving and adoring and wetting his feet with our tears? Covering his feet with perfume? Giving ourselves over to his presence in all that we do? Our lives will not be different if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in every step that we take. It's not going to be what God intended it to be. What else are we grateful for? Are you grateful for his healing? Luke 17, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them. When he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. 
and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were they not Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. There were ten. One returned. One returned to fall at the feet of Jesus and give him glory and praise. And because he returned, that his faith has made him well. A Samaritan has now received the gift of salvation and is well eternally because of his faith in Jesus. And he returned to the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus is our healer. Amen. Are you grateful for victory? 2 Chronicles 20, so they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil before... was spoiled because there was so much. Skip to verse 27. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries, where they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, For his God gave him rest all around. Mm. You can't tell me you haven't been through a battle. You can't tell me you haven't fought against a giant. You haven't been up against an unsurmountable task. You haven't had things coming against you and thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. You can't tell me that it hasn't happened. And you can fall on your face to the Lord. He can come with you and he can be like, you know what? I'm going to walk with you and we're going to cut the head off this giant. 
I'm going to walk with you, and we're going to get together, and we're going to march around this. We're going to do this Jericho march. Man, where is the Jericho march? Where is the cutting of the heads of the giants? We believe in a word of God that goes beyond time. We believe in a God that is timeless. Right, and it's not the church of old, and it's not the church of new. So where are the people that stand up and say, we are the church? Not the old church, not the new church, because guess what? God doesn't change the same, right? He's the same. He's the same. His word is the same. We are the church Amen. standing on the word of God. In victory, we stand on the word of God. We cut off the heads of the giants. We march around the cities of Jericho. We speak to him in heavenly language because we are the church. It hasn't changed. It goes beyond the four walls that we sit in today. We are the church. The living Church, we shouldn't act like we're dead. We shouldn't act like we're defeated. We should come in here with trumpets and praises, hands in the air, screaming, we are the church. We serve an almighty God. We have victory in the name of Jesus. We can feel his presence. He empowers us. He gives us joy, and we give him praise. Because we're the church. It's literally our job. You're getting me excited over here. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Man, let's have church. Let's just have it. This ain't nothing stopping us from having church but us. Well, it's that simple. Are you grateful you have the opportunity to sit in the presence of the Lord and just lean into him? Do you show that gratitude by spending time with him every day? Do you put him first? See, so right, so if we're grateful for his presence and we're grateful for, for who he is and we're grateful for the opportunity to be in his presence with the Holy Spirit that resides in us, do we push into that every day to show our gratitude? We push into that to let him be who he is in us. Are you grateful you have the word of God 
but pour through whenever you want. Are you grateful that that Bible is right there for you to pour into whenever you want? For you to lean into for the word of God to to make it come alive in your heart. For the Holy Spirit to lead you through as it pertains to your every situation. The living, breathing word of God. Are you so grateful that you pour into it as much as you can? Are you grateful for his strength that is inside of you? That helps you do the hard things and persevere through the hard times. Romans 5, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit who was given to us. Did you sit in a jail cell and give glory to God? Did you sit in that jail cell and praise his name? I got myself, he got, he got sent there because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he was overjoyed and thankful. He sat there giving glory and praise to the Lord for being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Are we grateful for those opportunities? Are we find ourselves in a precarious situation, maybe feeling slightly uncomfortable for what we believe? And be like, yeah, God, why are you putting me through this? I just did what you asked me to do. Are we grateful? Are you grateful for the boldness and courage he gives you? Do you speak out against worldly things? Now listen, the, the world of social media has made it far too convenient. When I say speak out, I don't mean, you know, well, I'm not going to share that post. That's not biblical. I'm going to dislike that one. That's no good. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I'm talking about in your normal, everyday conversations. You find yourself talking to people with the intent of pointing them towards Jesus. Knowing that they don't believe. Not yelling and screaming. Not condemning them to hell. Not the guy on the sidewalk with the signs yelling at the cars that go by saying get right or get left. I think that would be funny, by the way. But actual meaningful conversation with people that you know, with people that know you, with people that you know that don't know Jesus. And just talking to them about the goodness of who God is. And what's been done in your life? Does our gratefulness extend to that point or do we shrink back because we don't want them 
to think, oh, that's what he's all about. I don't want to talk to him anymore. Mark 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Are you grateful for the church? Are you grateful for the crossing? Do you show your gratitude? Do you pray for your church? Do you pray for the leaders in your church? That they make sound decisions? Do you pray for the leadership that they sit there and they have influence from God? They make decisions to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you pray for your church? Do you serve in your church? You're like, I'm grateful, but I ain't that grateful. Those kids are terrible, right? Oh, those kids are joyful. The miracles and creations of the God Almighty. There are so many things in this church that is done by volunteers. And it's, it's, it's hard, and I'm not going to tell you this just for you, but a statistic in churches across the world. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Right? And I'm not saying that for the cross. I'm saying in general for the church. Where's our gratitude? Man, are you grateful for your family? How do you show that gratitude? What action do you show to show that gratefulness? I'm not talking about vacations. I'm not talking about gifts. But I'm talking about standing on the word of God for your family. I'm talking about praying over your home. I'm talking about praying over your kids. Praying with your spouse. Praying with your family. Pleading the blood of Jesus over your home. And telling the enemy, you can't be here. My home goes through me, and it's covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about standing on Joshua and saying, that's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And backing it up for what they can see through your relationship with God. It's one thing to speak it. It's another thing to live it. Do they see it? Not just given to them and yelled at them, but do they see it? Do they feel it? Do they understand it? Are you grateful for your friends and the people in your life? This one's hard for me. How far do you think we've gotten from what God intended concerning the relationships that we have with the people around us? Because I'm pretty sure in that Bible somewhere it says something about we're going to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That when we see a brother or a sister in need, we're not going to ignore it. 
we will give up of our own so that they can have, so that they can be taken care of. I'm pretty sure that's in there. I think I've read it before. And is our gratitude of that level? Do we do that? Or do we turn a blind eye because it's inconvenient for us? Are you grateful for all the junk he's brought you through? Right? Because listen, we've been through some junk. A lot of people in this room have been through a lot of things. We've been through hurt. We've been through us making our own bad decisions. We've been through people attacking us. We've been through it, man. Are we grateful for what God has done and how he's brought us through? Do we show our gratitude by sharing our story with people who are where we were? Like, I understand where you're coming from. I've been there. Or do we bottle in because we couldn't possibly let them know that I struggled with something? couldn't possibly let them know that I had to deal with this or that I made a mistake. Listen, we already know that you've made mistakes. <laughs> so what actions do we take so we don't forget about what he's done? We got to, well, man, we got to hurry up. So there's a thing that they did in the Bible in the Old Testament and they built altars, right? Noah built an altar when he walked onto dry land following the flood. Abraham built an altar when he arrived in the land to which God had sent him. He built the ultimate altar of sacrifice when he placed his son Isaac on the altar to be sacrificed. Aren't you guys glad we don't do that anymore? All right. Listen. Moses raised an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, to celebrate a military victory. Gideon was preparing to do battle. He built an altar. David built an altar on the threshing floor. They built altars as a symbol of submission to God. I believe that's in your notes. <laughs> they use it as times of sorrow. They used it in times of victory. They used it when they needed to repent. They were a celebration of God's faithfulness. And here's the important, guys. It wasn't out of religion. It was out of the desire to be in connection with God. That's what they had to do. Their desire was to be in connection with God. So to do that, they had to build an altar and offer a sacrifice. To do that, they had to build an altar and offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament. God has always designated a sacrifice to be the test or barrier through which people would pass to get to him. Under the Old Testament, it was bulls, goats, or some other material possession that they had to sacrifice to God. Under the New Covenant... 
We have the benefit of a far better sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ. It brought in a new system of freedom. It requires a sacrifice of the heart. Right? We're free to worship and sacrifice on altars built from love, from gratefulness, from joy of a relationship, a personal relationship with God. Hebrews 9, but Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not with of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Guys, your heart is the altar. Where we sacrifice, where we go to God and sacrifice, it's in here. It's in here. It says in Hebrews 8, but this is the promise that I will take to Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my teachings inside them and I will write those teachings on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It says in Hebrews 4, seeing that Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly. To the throne of grace. Because of what Jesus has already done. And the altar that is in your heart. You can come with boldness. So quickly, we're going to talk about this. In Exodus 20, we're going to talk about what it takes, what an altar looks like, right? Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have walked with you in heaven, walked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hone stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. What does that tell you? The altar has to be built from ordinary dirt. All right, if you don't have dirt and you're going to go to a rocky place, you just find stones and you build them up. You don't polish them. You don't make them look pretty. You don't hone them so that they can all fit together. You just build them up exactly how they are. How does that relate to your heart? 
Build your altar with absolute humility. You build your, your altar, your heart. Number one, just the way it is right now, right? You came into it. This is your heart. And with humility, you go to Jesus, knowing you're not in control, knowing that if you did it, you're going to mess it up. He's like, don't pretty up the stones. Don't make it look all nice because you think that's what I want to see. Everything that has anything to do with the altar must be given over to the grace of God. And the third thing, everything that has anything to do with the altar must come from the hand of God. God created your heart. God created you. He's imprinted on you in your heart. He's given you his teachings. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's simply telling you, get out of the way. Come to me with humility. Know that I am God. And let me work and listen and respond. A quote from G. Campbell Morgan says, I never climb, I never climb to God on the steps that I have carved. I climb to God when I descend to the dignity of my naked humanity on the earth and in the dust. And when lying there, I find the Son of Man. For there also I find heaven opened, for he is also the Son of God. He will interpret my problem and heal my wounds and illuminate my darkness. There is no approach to God by climbing. Heaven comes down on our souls to greet, and glory crowns the mercy seat. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. God molds the altar when you come to him in humility and complete surrender. Altars are used to connect with God. But when altars are broken down, when they're unused, when they're neglected and forgotten, and we aren't connecting with God. As we seek him in humility and grow in relationship with him, we continue to be molded. We continue to be reminded that he graciously blesses us in all areas of our lives. Guys, I don't have a whole lot of crazy wisdom to give you. Here's what I know. I know that your heart is your altar. And to live your life with gratitude, you've got to continuously fall before the Lord on your face with absolute humility and maintain that altar through a relationship with God. Everything else leading up to this is just me telling you 
We have a lot of work to do in our area of gratitude. Up to the point that the altar in your heart is where we do that work. Now, some of you may be like me and you need a physical reminder sometimes. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, hey, stupid, shut up and listen. Sometimes that's my wife. <laughs> a lot of the times that's my wife. <laughs> you know, I was going to do this. I talked to Victor before this, and I, and I, and I was going to do this thing where I went out and I gathered up all these stones, right? And I, and I was going to gather up hundreds of stones, and I was going to put them in these things, and I was going to have everybody go out and grab a stone out of this thing. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why am I doing the work for them? There's something to be said for you going out and finding your own stone and setting it up on your mantle or wherever it is that you want to put it for a physical reminder of what God has done in your life and the ever so important altar that is your heart. And as you sometimes maybe tend to forget or you look and you're like man and you see that rock sitting up there and you're like I belong to him I am the church I am his I'm going to maintain my altar 